the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results. And for those who don't know who this wonderful guest I'm hosting today, it is actually my cousin, Catherine Elizabeth. And for those who don't know, Catherine is a realtor. She's a content creator, dog bomb, very important, and of course, an optimist. And we're going to talk about her, her success in the real estate field and the social media field, her errors, her successes, her trials, and uh, essentially making sure you're successful with all that as well. So while we get started, Catherine, tell us what is the most badass professional thing you're most proud of? Well, I would say a lot of personal growth, but definitely making six figures in my first year in real estate surprised myself, and I'm very proud of that. Oh my gosh. And you're you're 24 now, um, and your first year was when you were 22, 21? Yeah, I think I was either 21 or 22. Oh my gosh, that is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to do like a superhero journey. Um, so like we were at this epic battle where here, here Katie, Catherine is at the top of the mountain. I want to kind of go backwards in time. Like how the heck do you go from coming from a small town in Oregon to making six figures as your first year as, as an entrepreneur, as a business person? Walk us through that, that journey a little bit. So when I was 18, I moved to San Diego right outside of high school, and I just wanted to have basically an adventure and live in a different place, see different people, and um, kind of reinforce that I wanted to get into real estate, but I knew I wasn't prepared to commit to California for that long. So when I moved back a year later, I started interviewing at brokerages and got hired as a transaction coordinator so that I could kind of learn the industry before I jumped in completely and further make connections. And then once I got licensed, it was kind of just <laughs> pushing into the industry and the rest is history, doing something I love every day and feeling very grateful. Well, and you mentioned that the rest is history, and I'm sure there's a lot of real estate agents going, what the heck? I've been doing business for 20 years. I became real estate agent at uh, 42, and I still couldn't make six figures in, in my first year. So how the heck did we were able to achieve that? Yeah, I think in the beginning, um, it was kind of confusing for me because most of the people I knew in real estate were a lot older. And they had tremendous amount of success doing what worked for them. And I was kind of in a shift of figuring out what would work best for me and my personality and my life and the way that I wanted my business to be. And so I was told a lot not to focus on social media and like statistically the percentage of, you know, deals you'll get off social media is so tiny. It's not worth your time. Like you need to be cold calling and doing open houses and door knocking. And I just didn't ever feel like that was authentic to like my personality and who I am. And so kind of like going with my gut versus going with what other professionals were telling me. And it took a lot of time to build that and show up and build rapport with the people that I know in my community. Um, and then obviously 
your statistics don't lie once you start doing business it's a lot easier from there but i think just showing up showing value showing that you are there to help people kind of can set you apart and making sure it's authentic to you and your personality and you're not just kind of fluffing stuff as a salesperson and showing that you're there to actually help someone and the service that you're providing is going to set you apart from all the other people in your industry. I love that. And and speaking to the importance of following your gut, I I know that that takes a lot of of confidence to do because I'm sure the real estate agency worked with, like, I'm sure they had some success. I'm sure that their methods worked. Like how did you, learn that confidence to know how to follow your own gut in the first place and and know and go even though they know what they're talking about i'm still gonna do my own thing like how did you <laughs> even do that i think when you because i did go through a period where i was hitting the phones and doing open houses and i started literally i was going to quit real estate after like four months. And I was like, this is not it. Like, I don't feel comfortable. This is not what I thought it would be. I don't feel like I'm, you know, providing people something that I want to. It just felt kind of icky to me. And so I think like that feeling and being like, oh, you can't quit because you haven't even tried what you wanted to do and what's going to make you happy and what works best for your personality. And I think once I started doing that consistently and then seeing results, that built my confidence in its own because I started to kind of see like, oh, like I do need to go with my gut because it's yielding results for me. So I think like over time when you are doing something that feels right and genuine to you and then you top that with results, that's confidence building in itself. I love that. I love that. And it's because the show is called uh, Rapid Results. Um, so it sounds like you, you wish you had learned how to do social media right out of the bat. Is there anything else you wish you have known earlier on in your real estate um, career that uh, you you know now? You know, it kind of came a little bit more natural to me because I had been posting on social media since I was in probably eighth or ninth grade. Um, And so I was very comfortable like showing up online and kind of putting myself out there in that way. But I think something that I didn't know was when I was younger, I would just listen to what everyone was saying. And then once you get into business, you kind of realize those outside noises are not getting you where you want to go. And so I would say advice for anyone starting out is to try and mute those voices as much as you can and listen to what you want to do and focus on that because everything else is just kind of going to like lower your chances of getting to where you want to go. Oh, I love that. I love that. And let's dive into the social media strategy because uh, I say this in every episode and it's still so true is that the top mistake people make is they, is that from the movie field of dreams and they go, Oh, if you build it, if you post it, people will come, people will watch you. People will want to buy from you. So obviously you can't just uh, post social media posts, whatever you want and cross your fingers. Right. Uh, Tell us more, how the heck do you get clients from social media or the real estate industry when it's usually unheard of to be able to do that? Yeah, so I have kind of, you know, morphed and changed my methods over time, figuring out like what doesn't feel right, what's not working, and then what is working. And I find that when I'm only speaking or posting about business, that doesn't feel authentic to me either. 
And then when I'm only posting my personal life, it can feel too much like um, the Katie show. So I try to balance it out with um, reminding people who I am and what I do and why I'm showing up on social media. And then also giving them kind of a way to understand me as a person outside of my work and that I'm not just a realtor. I'm also a human. Like I have, you know, good days, bad days, stuff going on in my life. And another tip is just like, engage with your audience. Don't expect to just, you know, throw a bunch of fluff out there and see if it sticks. Like you have to actually build relationships. And by doing that, you will see success from that. And you're not just creating like a facade, like some of the people that I have become friends and clients with through social media, like we stay in touch and talk every single day. Like these are real relationships being built. It's not just, oh, you're liking my post and commenting on it. Like these are real relationships and real connections that can further you in life and business. So how do you go about engaging with your audience? And and, and what does that mean? Like uh, if, if someone... Um, post a story? Do I just say good job? And how do I know which person to interact with? Uh, tell, us, tell us more about that, about cultivating your audience, engaging with them and, and building relationships with them. I would say it might look different for everyone. But personally, what I do is I reciprocate the energy that's coming to me. So if I see someone that is liking and commenting on my post, I see that as a sign as you want to have a relationship. And I will always hype their posts up and do it in a way that I think would resonate with them. Obviously, my, you know, older neighbors, I'm not going to comment the same thing on that that I would comment my 25 year old friend. And so I think just really doing like what feels authentic to you in that specific relationship and being consistent and not expecting, um, you know, to post a graphic on about real estate on social media and then people are going to automatically, you know, respect you. Like this is like a game of consistency and like actual relationship building. So it's definitely not like an overnight process by any means. And how many hours on social media do you spend per day or per week? Do you have a specific regimen? Like, Oh, I spend seven to nine every morning and five to seven each night, or I do five hours on this day, two hours on this day. What's your, consistent social media regimen you have lined out? So every day it does look a little bit different, but what I found is I do time block now, which really, really, really helps me um, because before in my first two years of real estate, I knew that social media was where I wanted to focus my time because not only do I get business from it, but it like actually brings me joy. So even if I wasn't getting any business from it, I would still show up every single day and do the same exact things. So I kind of found that I was getting burnt out constantly going on there and not wondering if it was yielding results, wondering if it was a waste of time. And so when I started time blocking, that really helped me stay organized. And so I do time block two hours in the morning where I respond to all of my DMs, texts, emails, comments, all of that good stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and obviously emails. And then I try to do an hour of content creation somewhere in the day, depending on appointments, which could be, you know, recording different reels, going and taking a photo somewhere, um, doing market research and putting together like an infograph. And then at night, I try to do my engaging, which is 
commenting on people that I like stuff, liking their stuff, sharing their stuff, um, and engaging in that way. And I find that that kind of works the best for me. I love that system. Um, I never heard that that method so far, but it's brilliant. Is respond in the morning, create in the afternoon, and then uh, engage at night. Um, so that, yeah. that's that, that's really cool. I, I like that. I'm going to write that down as a as a note for myself as well. And you mentioned in the beginning in the this interview, which is so super inspirational, is that people said, "Oh, you can't get clients from social media." What percentage of your clients come from social media now? Well. I would say about 90% of my clients are from social media and then the rest might be either a lender referral or a referral from one of my clients from social media. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and, and let's go into, so you, you said that you, you balance your personal and your professional posts. like. How do you know how to go about that? Like do like one personal post a day and three business posts, three business, three personal posts a day and one business post. Like do you have a formula to that or is, this, is it kind of random? Um, I tried to have a formula in the beginning, which was I tried to do around 70% personal, 30% business. But I found I was like overthinking and obsessing over that. So what I kind of do now is I just go with my natural life. So. If I get something under contract, I'll post about it. If I learn something interesting about the market, I will share that. If I'm on vacation, I'm going to share what I'm doing there. If I'm doing something with Cole or my family, I will share that as it's going on. Um, so I think that has worked good for me too, to not like overthink what I'm doing because in any sort of business, every day, week, month looks differently. So there might be one month where I'm on vacation for majority of the month. So it's kind of hard to post real estate. And then there might be another month where I close eight deals and that's all I'm doing all month. So I think I kind of just go with the natural flow of my life now. And I found that that feels more authentic to me. Oh, I love that. Okay. So let's, let's go into talking about um, the real estate itself. So, well, I guess, if, if 90% of your clients come from social media, does that mean 90% of the work you do to get clients is on social media or you're still making calls, you're still um, attending networking meetings, you're still um, constantly reading? Tell us more about that. Um, I do not do any cold calling. I It gives me the ick. I just, it doesn't feel right for me. And it's really funny because I talk to a lot of realtors and other realtors say that their entire business is built off of cold calling and they love it. They're super good on the phone, super natural on the phone, and it works for them. And so I actually do think that's one of my favorite things about the real estate industry. And I tell this to people all the time is I could be focusing on social media and making a living and paying my bills. And you could be calling all day and both of us could look at each other like that sounds terrible, but it works for each of us, you know? And I think that yeah. kind of, the beautiful part about real estate is there's not really like one way to slice the cake. You can do so many different things. And so for me, I found that social media works best for me. I love it. I enjoy doing it. And if I'm making connections and making a living off of it, it's kind of just a bonus for me. No, I, I love that. And I do want to speak to a little bit of the dangers of social media and right. uh, you're okay talking about that. Um, well, do, do you have an email list yet by any chance? 
Um, I do have an email that I send out to my clients that are current. Um, I do need to work on getting some sort of consistent email list going out, um, which is something that is on my to-do list. I mostly just do text follow-up and mailers in the mail, depending on what season it is. Okay. Um, I want to talk about... uh... Yeah, the two dangerous sides of social media. The one side is if you're okay sharing about your Instagram experience where you work so hard to build an account and then uh, unfortunately something unfortunate happened. Um, the other side is social media addiction. Um, and so tell me, for the audience listening, yeah, tell us what happened with that Instagram account. Like, is there anything you could have done to prevent that? Or how, how did you still decide to keep using Instagram after what happened? If you're okay sharing with the audience what, what happened there? So yeah, I had an Instagram account that I got when Instagram very first came out, which I don't remember what year it was, but it was quite a while ago. And it was when um, Instagram was only for iPhones. That's how long ago it was. And then I remember they added Androids later. Um, And so I had had memories with my, our grandma who passed away on there, like pictures and videos um, throughout my whole entire life. And I had built a community on there, which also in turn turned into how I um, supplement my business. And luckily, I do have a business page, which is a little bit more protected than my personal page. But yeah, out of nowhere, I was scrolling and actually in my house in this room during renovations. And I was sharing a story and it said, cannot refresh feed. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not trying to refresh the feed. So I don't know what's going on here. And it logged me out and it said, we need to verify your identity. So um, text a code to your number and then it instantly popped up. And so I auto filled it and it didn't allow me in. And it said, your Instagram has been um, temporarily uh, disabled or something. And so I started emailing and reaching out to people and I tried to do everything I could. And I went to YouTube and found that there was like thousands and thousands of people that this was happening to. And probably about 10% of them were getting their accounts back. And the other ones just started new. And so I did start a new account eventually and started building that just because I felt like it was going nowhere trying to get a hold of Instagram. And it's really surprising um, just a platform that large with that many people that their uh, customer service is practically non-existent. So that was very surprising to learn. Um, But I kind of just ended up cutting my losses because I realized it was taking up way too much of my energy, like worrying about what was going on. And so I would say the biggest thing I learned is to diversify and make sure you have other platforms that you're using because realistically speaking, Instagram could shut down tomorrow. So if that is where you're getting 100% of your business, like you probably should have a backup plan or two. And so I think um, the main takeaway is to always diversify your platforms. Even if you're not using it for business, you might one day with your community. So diversify Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, whatever works for you. I'm trying to get into YouTube now. So I think um, just diversifying because that was a terrible experience. But I also don't want to give too much light to it because um, I feel like it can like hold you back in life to focus on these negative things. And I was so upset thinking to myself, all the memories, the DMs I had with people that were potential clients that now are just like, there's no way I could remember thousands and thousands of names. And so 
it is disappointing, but it's a very good lesson to diversify your platforms and never rely too much on one of them. Yeah, and I'm still impressed that you still continue to use Instagram all that, but that's because, like you said, most of your clients came from Instagram, so you kind of had no choice. Are you, are you officially, quote-unquote, enslaved to them because they're your main business driver? I would say I probably have an equal amount from Instagram and Facebook. I would say I do. My clients from Facebook are more local, um, like friends and acquaintances in my community, whereas a lot of my clients from Instagram were out-of-state people that were reaching me through um, different methods I was doing there. So I will always use Instagram. If they ever like created another platform similar with pictures and videos, I would hop on that. I don't really resonate with TikTok much, so I haven't dived into that. Um, but I just, I love the concept of the platform and how it works. Um, I don't necessarily love that there's zero help if you're running into an issue, but I, I literally enjoy going on there and showing up. So as long as it's there, I will continue to use it and keep my options open for new platforms. But yeah, I think in a sense, I don't see myself enslaved to Instagram, but I do think there is a level of like, I rely on showing up on their platform and they kind of like own their users in a sense. And so it's a little bit of a toss up there. Yeah. Yeah. I know that is, that is interesting. I mean, because at the end of the day, you got to pay the bills and obviously Instagram works for you. And so sorry to hear that they uh, yeah did, did that to you. Um, and so hopefully it doesn't happen again, but it sounds like yeah, you're like, okay, and now I know I got to diversify. I got to have multiple accounts. Um, right. I got to make sure that if it happens again, I, it would suck, but it won't destroy me. Right, kind of, right. Kind of, um, so learning how to put those those placeholders in, in effect. Yeah. And I think and, that's cool. like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, and it takes time to rebuild too, but it's not impossible. Like every day when I go on there and I'm engaging with another, you know, blogger or someone in my industry, I will see like someone that commented on their post and be like, oh my God, I like remember them on my old page. And then I'll follow them and stuff. And you just keep expanding from there. But yeah, the difficulty really is like the amount of people that you have on there and you simply can't remember them all to, you know, start fresh, but um, it, it is a process and it does, pay well for me. So it's something that I'm willing to rebuild. And like I said, I, I enjoy showing up on there, even if I had one follower. So regardless, I think I would just create another account and do it again. Well, and, and uh, just to make sure the audience knows, like you weren't just a random small account that they decided to take away from you. How many followers did you have before they deleted your account? I think I had like 16.4 thousand. Yeah. So that was very disappointing um and I even like verified my identity because um it's still unclear what happened but based on what I know from the people I've reached out to and the information I was giving my account was like reported for pretending to be someone else and so they asked me to verify my identity and I had to send in all of my information and um still nothing came of it so it was a very confusing situation to go through and how much have you been able to bounce back from that original 16,000 follower accounts? Like how many followers do you have on your Instagram accounts now? 
Um, well, my business page was untouched. So luckily, I still have all of my content there from the beginning of my career, which is really nice. And then on my personal page, I think I have almost 9000 now. So it's just a process of rebuilding and reaching out to other um, bloggers that I was friends with and doing story giveaways. So a lot of the people that followed them used to follow my old account. And so getting them back onto my new page and just putting out content and continuing to build it. But it is kind of nice to have a fresh start. But um, really anything like in life, you just kind of have to have like a good attitude because the other option is what to be upset and miserable. So I kind of just try to stay positive about it. Yeah. And let's talk about that attitude. How did you go about creating that, that good attitude, being the self-proclaimed optimist. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's very easy to, you know, well, I guess everything is subjective, but what drives you to be an optimist? What caused that? I'd love to hear more about that background. I would say I went through like a lot of years where I was either overthinking or obsessing over something, whether that be a goal or something bad that happened to me um, previously. And I would always like write out my goals and I got this um, collaboration through Instagram and it was like a book and it talked about like your goals and then expanding on that and like what you're going to do to get there and then what's holding you back. And almost every single time I realized that the mindset was what was holding me back, like realistically, everyone has a past, everyone has bad things, everyone has you know, things they wish they could change or opportunities they wish they were presented with that could have furthered them. But it doesn't get you anywhere to focus on that. And so I started to try to focus on the controllables in my life and how I can use those to elevate myself further in my productivity. And I realized mindset was the number one facet of that. And I tried to really just focus on Bad thoughts, like you have to process those feelings. You can't ignore them and let them bubble up, but don't give them like time and attention for days and weeks and months. Like feel the feelings and then move on and focus on your goals and what can better you. And once I started doing that, I felt better. I was being more productive. I was happier overall. And so I think like once I figured that out, in addition to you know, the media I'm consuming before it was always like negative people posting about politics and posting about all these terrible things. And I would just mute them and mute them and mute them. And I make sure like the media I'm consuming is people that are positive, people that are not afraid of the problems of the world, but they aren't complaining about them. And people that are in business and people that want to further their life. And I feel like that really helped me too because I would get so upset reading all of these negative things constantly and get sucked in like a wormhole on social media. And I would look back and I'd be like, I just spent like two hours reading into this bizarre story that has nothing to do with my life. And it was just like a, it it was a toxic place. And so I realized they have features to tune your media. And so I started really using them and muting people and um, boosting people that were helping me and their content was motivating me. And then over time, like I just, um, you know, I saw the benefits of that. And so I think the main thing is keeping your mindset in check and realizing like what's causing your mindset to go into a lull or a negative time 
and doing your best to combat that, but not suppress anything that's actually going on and focusing on who you have around you. If you're hanging out with five negative people and your friend group is complaining about their life, complaining about their job or their boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband and complaining about how they want to do this, but they can't, um, you're going to be the sixth one complaining versus if you're going around people that are, you know, saying, I'm going to achieve this no matter what, it's going to take me time. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to get there. And like, can't wait to work on this idea. I can't wait to go on this trip with my family you're going to be the sixth one of that group. And so I think just focusing on the controllables. And for me, it's those three things. And I find that's what works best for me. Yeah. So, so tell, tell me again, how, how do you keep track and be mindful of your mindsets and, and make sure that you are able to um, have a good attitude? You mentioned, oh, you censor people who don't have a good attitude. You, you, uh, you put in your... Uh, social media settings to only follow certain stuff like how how else do you maintain your self-care maintain a positive attitude because obviously as Forrest Gump says shit happens (laughs) right right how Um, do you um, other steps in regards to like self-care that can look different for everyone and I think that my first two years of real estate were very successful um even amidst the pandemic but I was like almost obsessing over work and I was not, you know, it's exciting when you're like making money as a young person and you're doing all the things and you just want more and more and more. And then you hit like a slow point and you realize like, I haven't been taking care of myself. I'm so burnt out. I'm exhausted. Um, And you realize that wasn't really worth it, kind of. So I think like now I really, really try to balance in self-care. Even if I feel like it's not worth it and I don't need it, I will like force myself to do that, whether it's calling my best friend and having a deep talk, calling Cole and talking to him for a few hours or venting, whether it's like putting my phone away and taking a bath and just like sitting with my thoughts or reading a book, taking my dogs to the park. I think just like getting out and doing like a self-care that could look different for everyone. Um, Obviously that really helps, which like I said, it it could look different for everyone, but if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't really be the best business person, the best realtor, the best whatever you are trying to achieve because your brain is not in check and you can easily get burnt out in business. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I love that. So calling a best friend, taking a bath, putting your phone away, talking to your fiance. Um, so you have all these methods ready to go. And obviously, and so, I mean, uh, I think you just got back from Scottsdale recently. How many vacations do you take per year um, to, to help uh, make sure you're operating at an A, a level game? You know, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say what my goal is because I feel like it could be seen as extreme. But I really do try to, if I am, you know, um, busy with work, I do try to take at least one trip every month or two, just because I find that um, not only does it motivate me to get back and work really hard, but it is a, a good opportunity to get away and relax and get away from work and my house here and um, give myself a little bit of a break and I mean, any realtor knows when you go on vacation, you're still always working. Like I was 
you know, doing CMAs and getting listing paperwork ready and negotiating while I was there. Um, but just getting out and doing something that's good for yourself. Um, if you do like travel, I feel like prioritizing that can be really helpful as well because it kind of keeps you motivated to keep going and not reaching that burnt out level where you're like, oh my gosh, I just like worked myself to death for what? <laughs> yes. Uh, and I really like that, that concept. And I'm, you know, obviously it, it, it's scary, but, uh, um, you know, it goes back to, there's a book um, called Willpower Doesn't Work by a guy named Benjamin Hardy. And he says, the defining factor between successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs are people who do the point of no return, where you take an action, you take a step, you're going, I'm not going back. And Steve Harvey, uh, he, he talks about the importance of whenever you book a flight, you got to book the first class ticket mm-hmm. because once you have that experience, you're going, yeah. I was just telling um, someone about this and I said, because I had a few experiences where I was like, wow, that was like terrible. And they're like, no, you're overreacting. And I was like, no, that was like awful. And it was, I won't explain the situation, but the concept remains the same where I got used to traveling and receiving a certain level of service. Whereas when you go back and you get terrible service, it is even more terrible. And I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, where he says, book the first class ticket, because it'll never feel the same walking to the back again. And it's so true, like you have to almost like, go into the mindset of a successful person before you're successful, and go into the mindset of a happy person, like what is if you're, you know, battling depression, go into the mindset of a happy person, like what does a happy person do? And you have to go into those mindsets before you actually get there. And I feel like that can um, really help people if you're finding it hard to get there. Um, And then for me, also, I think I recognize certain habits or you know, thoughts when I'm going into like a lull and I can catch them a lot quicker and start taking care of myself and doing those self-care activities I mentioned to prevent myself from, you know, spiraling. Yeah. So, and uh, so it sounds like your first class ticket is saying, you know what, I'm doing a vacation every month or every two months. And if I'm not making enough money to afford those, I need to hustle harder. (laughs) Yeah. And I have these conversations with my fiance Cole all the time too. And we like to listen to like self-help podcasts and stuff like that. And obviously like this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, we were talking about budgeting for buying, you know, more properties and I listened to this podcast and it really spoke to me because he was basically saying like, you don't need a budget, you need to make more money. Like don't budget your money planning for not having enough and you have to like cut back here and cut back there. Although like disclaimer, if you need to do that, like don't be going into debt just for something silly. But the concept is kind of just like, instead of focusing on like the negative aspect, which is that you don't have enough money, switch your mindset to like, no, I could, if I made more money, I could have that a lot quicker. And I think that mindset shift has been really helpful for me too. Instead of saying like, oh my gosh, if I had that other Instagram, I would have way more connections. Now it's like, no, I got a fresh star and I can have fresh content. And I think just mastering your mind is really the key to any success in any facet you're trying to achieve. 100%. And, and how do you balance that you know, knowing how much to spend on a vacation where you don't, you don't splurge and go into debt, but you also have a good time. Like, how do you 
go about uh, balancing that, those opportunities? Um, I would say, I mean, every vacation looks different for me. If I'm going on like a weekend trip um, and if I'm with Cole or like I'm going to Denver in two weeks, like I'm going to be, we're doing our engagement photos. So I have to pay for that, which is expensive. And we're probably going to do a nice dinner because I haven't seen him in a month. And so I think like just going with like the natural flow and not obsessing over like, can I afford this? Or I need to create a budget for every single day. Like if you want to do um, you know, a sports game and that's going to be a significant amount of money, like maybe plan for a pool day the next day where you're more relaxing. Um, and I think that obviously looks different for everyone else and their, you know, financial situations. But for me, I don't try to obsess over it because then I find that I'm not able to be in the moment and enjoy it because I'm like, oh, what am I going to be able to do this tomorrow? Or am I going to be able to do that? I just kind of go into a mindset of, I'm going to make this work. If I go over what I thought I was going to spend on this trip, it looks like I'm going to have to work a little bit extra hard when I get home. And um, for some people that might be scary, but for me, like that mindset really works for the way that I function. Oh, hundred percent. And so going back to, you, you know, you, what you want, you, you seem to accomplish it um, pretty quickly. Oh, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is, so you said you have a specific goal book that you use that talks about uh, when you're setting goals, you talk about what holds you back as well? Yeah, I have a few of them. And the most recent one, it's called The House of Routine, and it really like tracks your goals. And it tells you, um, we could put the link um, to it somewhere when you post this, whatever. but it's really helpful if you are consistently doing that. And I think part of the problem with people setting goals and wanting to achieve certain things is there's, you know, people that have ideas and they're like, Oh, I want to achieve this. I want to make six figures. I want to travel more with my you know, family or kids or whatever it may be. Um, but if you are not like tracking yourself, that might sound excessive, but if you're not doing that, your chances of achieving that are a lot slimmer because there's no, there's nothing to base it off of. You can't just wake up one morning and think I'm going to be successful or I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And I think being organized and diligent with your plans and how you're going to get there might require a year of not traveling to achieve a certain goal or a year of, you know, doing X, Y, Z to get there. And you have to really track that in order to see how you're going to, achieve that and being aware of what's holding you back and not letting it, um, you know, eat you alive, but either figuring out how to combat it or use it to help you. Um, because social media, like before I leveraged it, like could have been seen as what was holding me back from making money and making calls and going and doing X, Y, Z. And so I think realizing your strengths, realizing your weaknesses, and then figuring out if you can leverage those things in any way and how they can help you get a plan going. Like you, you won't just wake up and have something happen, but if you're tracking yourself and you're, um, you know, monitoring it, I feel like in my opinion, you can achieve whatever you want. Like any idea you have, like if you put in the work, you can, you can achieve that. 100%. Yeah. No, you got, you got me, you got me fired up. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a house of routine book. Um, it sounds like that that's helped you with success. It's helped you get there because it helps you track yourself because you know, I, what I've learned is you know, I've run accountability groups and a lot of 
confidence is a real thing. You got to have confidence towards your goals. Um, and every confident win matters. Um, you know, for example, if you have cookies in the island, you told yourself you wouldn't eat cookies that day. And you're like, well, it's right there. I guess I might as well have it. Your confidence immediately drops. And then right. applies real life too. And so I want to talk about when you said that you set goals, the book talks about what's going to prevent you from getting there. What are that? I agree that, uh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, it's a perfect life. If I want something, I can go get it. They don't realize it might rain. It might snow. Your, your friend might break their leg and need your help right. for the next hours. How do you prepare for those obstacles that come your way when you go after goals? I think um, for me, I try to, which is really hard because I'm so type A and I love having a plan. I love having, um, even for like my Instagram posts, I will literally get like a vision in my head of what I want this image to look like and how I think it could provide value. And so if it doesn't go how I want, I can find myself getting upset or, you know, going down. And I think you have to just open your mind to anything could happen. I mean, like there's been many times we planned a silly trip to the Tulip Festival and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get this bright, sunny photo. It's for a brand. It's going to look a certain way. And it was pouring down rain the entire day. And it was like, I could get upset and let it ruin my day, or I could find a spot where it looks fine and figure it out. And so I think, um, not letting those thoughts control you because it takes me back to like the controllable thing. Focusing on things you can't control is just a recipe for disaster. And it's really what ends up holding, I feel like everyone back, whether it's in a relationship, a job, life in general, you you can't allow yourself to go down that rabbit hole of what could or what couldn't happen. Especially in business, you might have a year where you know, you make a million dollars and then the next year you make a hundred thousand. I mean, like it's so different and you can't let that shake you. You have to just, you know, weather the storm and know that it's going to work out. I'm going to keep putting in the work and I'm going to get there because I'm going to do that myself. And I feel like if you open your mind to understanding that there are going to be difficulties, there's going to be days where you don't want to get out of bed and you're like, why am I doing this? You know, if you go into it knowing that that's going to happen, it almost makes it easier to get through those because you're like, oh, this is just one of those bad days. I I don't feel good. I feel like crap, but it's going to be better tomorrow or next week or whatever. And it almost makes it easier to combat that knowing that it's just, it's a part of life. Like nothing is going to be good every day, no relationship, no job, no life. Like you're going to have some crap. (laughs) Well, it sounds like since you've unlocked a secret hack of learning how to leverage social media to build your real estate business and leverage that, I know you have a boutique as well. Have you had any quote unquote bad months in your business? And uh, are you able to claim control or you say that those were out of your control when you had those quote unquote bad months? Um, I would say, you know, it's hard. You can't um, lie to yourself. And that's what I like said earlier, feeling your feelings. So for um, just to give like figures for the entire month of December and January and February, I closed no deals. And then in the past three months, I've closed 12. So (laughs) it kind of just, you know, you have to during those months, I'm like, oh my gosh, this sucks. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I not, you know, reaching out to people enough? Am I not doing this? And I felt those feelings and I let them motivate me and I, I, I let them do their job. And then I moved on and started working hard. And that's really all you can do because 
like I said, like the alternative, uh, soaking in your sorrows for the indefinite future is not going to get you anywhere. So I think like I've just learned there's no other choice but to be an optimist because I don't feel happy. I don't feel confident and I don't feel like myself when I'm sulking in my sorrows. And so figuring out the best ways to get through those hard parts um, is really helpful for me and like the most fulfilling for my life because I like to know that I've gone through something hard and still been able to prosper. I feel like my life would not be as fulfilling if I you know, got everything handed to me on a silver platter and it was so easy and it took no effort that would just not sit well with me. And so it feels good to get through those hard days. And that I think builds confidence as well. Like knowing like, wow, I did X, Y, Z and I I got through those hard days and I feel so good now. And I think that's um, really helpful and a good tool to keep in your pocket because like we talked about, the bad days are inevitable. So figuring out how to get through those and weather the storm is um, crucial to, I feel like, any success. Well, and I I do want to challenge you for a moment because human life is always going to come up with enough suffering, enough pain that's quote unquote outside of your control. Why do you feel the need that you still need to have pain and suffering for you to be successful or for you to be happy? Like, Why can't things come easier to you and and simply to you moving forward? I think for me, I think it builds character and it kind of keeps you humble and it keeps you understanding that, you know, you might be making six figures this year, but next year you could make zero dollars actually, like depending on what happens. And it keeps you in check and kind of helps you realize like you are a little human in the world and you might be having like this success and the person over there might be struggling to pay their car payment, struggling to pay their, their rent, struggling to put food on their kids' table. And I think it's not so much that we need to have these bad things happen is that it builds character and it kind of helps you, you know, keep your feet on the ground and it's good to keep your head in the clouds, but you can keep your head in the clouds with, like planting your feet on the ground and still being aware that real life is not, um, you know, a fantasy. There's real stuff that goes on. And I feel like when you go through those things, it almost helps you like embrace the good even more because you realize how special the good is and how special those achievements are. Whereas if everything was just smooth sailing, you could get stagnant, you could be ungrateful, you could easily switch into a completely different mindset. And so for me, I think it helps just stay in check and remain grateful and in a weird way, like stay motivated. Yeah, you know, and I think this is a good topping, uh, talking point, not topping, um, because <laughs> There's a, there's a great book I read uh, called uh, the, the Big Leap uh, by Gary Hendricks. He talks about this thought concept called upper limiting, where people, when they get success, they sabotage themselves because they say, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't get to have this because my friends don't have this. My family don't have this. So clearly, I'm not worthy of success. I don't deserve it. Um, and I think kind of like what you go, what you said too, is in a way it, it can all be perspective. Like, you know, like you said, going from six figures to seven, seven figures, it might be considered difficult to someone It might be considered as simple as someone else. I think it's just kind of how you, you want to look at it, um, essentially and say, Oh, I love it. When my comfort zone expands or I, I love it. Right. When I get to do things 
versus like, oh, I have to do this differently. I have to learn this now. I have to do this differently. So it's interesting what you said too, like, you know, wanting to build the character, knowing that you can still achieve whatever you set your mind to. But of course, you know, learning how to still enjoy yourself, have self-care, enjoy the process and still not, not go crazy over it. <laughs> right. Um, I think um, another thing that I've learned just through reading books and listening to other people talk on these topics too, um, which every time I do that, I get so inspired and I could never understand why people are like, oh, they don't know anything. I'm like, it's so exciting to hear other people's perspectives and, you know, take what you like and disregard what you don't. And I think it's really interesting. And one of the best podcasts I ever listened to, they were talking about a growth mindset and a fixed mindset and about how both of these people could have the same talents and the same abilities to achieve something. And the people that are fixed and judging and gossiping and having a negative mindset and saying, oh, I could only do this if or I could only do this um, without that bad thing that happened to me. And then the growth person is over here saying like, no, that terrible thing that happened to me made me realize X, Y, Z, I'm going to use that as, you know, fire and gasoline to further me and light my fire. And so I think like reality is your mindset could either be furthering you in life or really holding you back and causing you to, you know, judge people or gossip about people that really could be helping you. But your mindset sees it as a competitive thing when really like, you could have an amazing connection, but you're letting your mindset kind of limit you in that facet. And I think um, to expand on that, your your friends and the people you have around you are almost even more important because it sounds terrible, but it's almost like a chronic like middle classness where these middle class people, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there might be one friend that wants to do all these things but their entire friend group is like, no, that's crazy. You want to be on TV? That is insane. No one, why do you think you can do that? And they're telling you all these things, like laughing at you, thinking you're crazy. And then you could be with another group of friends. It's like, yeah, like I started a podcast and I never thought I could do that. You could totally be on TV. Like you should do X, Y, Z. I have this contact you can talk to, get you on maybe as a host somewhere and those those two people, again, have the same talents and the same wants, but even their friend group is affecting where they're going in life. And it's really sad, but you have to kind of keep that in check and realize what people are speaking into your life and speaking into your spirit, because that could either be helping you or hurting you. And the gal in the podcast, um, that was her exact um, example. Like she wants to be a TV host and she wants to be on TV. And she was like a lot of people from my hometown would be like, ah, like, you're so funny. And her friends now are like, yeah, like, you can totally do that. You have the perfect personality for that. Like, it's very crazy. But it is something to really be aware of. Because you see all the memes and the quotes that are like, you're a product of the five people closest to you. And you're just like, ha ha ha. Yeah, but it's a it's a fact. And if you don't, you know, fine tune and tweak that where you need to, you could be holding yourself back. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, think less of those people or you X them out of your life completely. It just might mean that you realize you have to expand to different connections or maybe not talk to them every single day, but keep a, a genuine like, you know, acquaintanceship with them and, you know, have deep conversations when you see them. But there, you, there's people for 
seasons, reasons, and for life. And you have to distinguish that because I feel like that's another huge piece of um, either benefiting you or holding you back in life. And I feel like um, that can also affect your confidence. If you're listening to people saying, you know, that's crazy or all the time I hear like, why do you have to post so much or why do you have to do this? And then I get around other people and they're like, I have this idea for a post for you. You should totally do this. And it's just two completely different worlds of a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and keeping company that is on the same life path of you and has the same goals or similar goals and fields is very important because you don't really realize um, how much that affects you until it's kind of too late. You're looking back on your life and you're like, wow, like these people kind of held me back. I could have been like doing X, Y, Z. And now I'm just um, living a life that I never really saw myself living because I chose comfort over growth. And so I think like that leads into the fixed mindset and growth mindset as well. But really keeping that in check um, is also crucial to, you know, achieving your goals and what you're going after. Even if it's not business, it could be personal growth. You could have a friend that every time you talk to them, they're talking about their problems and it's making you think, oh, I have that same problem too. Like my husband doesn't do that either or my job sucks too. And then you could talk to someone else that has an even worse husband and job. And they're like, but I appreciate the stuff he does do. I, I, I'm so grateful for my job. Like I might have to leave this job eventually, but I'm just embracing where I'm at right now. And just simple things like that, like they do affect you to your core, whether people acknowledge it or not. And so once you kind of realize that and you're like, nothing's going to hold me back because I have to, you know, do what's best for me and my future and my success. Um, it's kind of like exciting. Like, how could you not be excited about it and um, benefiting yourself and growing? And it's it's all very exciting stuff. Like, it's nothing to be afraid of. 100%. And and a re- real quick question, uh, when you were had zero deals closed between Feb- December and February, were you doing the same amount of work as when you had 12 deals closed between uh, March, and, March and May? Um, well, it's hard to say because... Again, statistically, you're going to be slower during the holidays because not as many people want to move during Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Um, so I always plan for that, um, which is ironic, though, because the year before that, those were some of my busiest months. So I think it's different every year and you, you can't really like go off of that. But I would say the only difference would be that I was gone a little bit more. Um, I had Thanksgiving with four different sides of family. And then I went to Cabo for my birthday and got engaged. And then we came back and had Christmas and went to Sun River. And um, right after that, we went to visit Cole's family in Texas. And so there was a lot going on. Um, And so you could see it as maybe I wasn't doing as much work, but I do the same stuff pretty much consistently weekly. So I think it also just depends on seasons. And there's so many other variables that play into it. Interesting. It's interesting because, like, going back to mindset, like uh, taking what five trips in two months. I mean, that is that 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 is definitely a lot. And so, uh, I guess that would make sense. But because I, I, I doubt you took five trips last year when you said it was some of your busiest time of the year. Like, there's no way you were right. traveling that much, right? Right. And I think like I try to 
plan my trips around my work. So for example, when I planned this um, Denver trip to visit Cole, it's after all of my current deals close. So I'm not having to hand off keys or miss anything like that. And there's things that also, you know, are uncontrollable. Like there's been times where I plan a trip around something and then we have to extend the deal and it falls into when I'm on vacation. Um, And so I just have to, you know, treat them when I get back or whatever. But I do feel like it's important to kind of like plan around in a bit, but you also can't, you can't predict everything in life. Like there's always going to be something that comes up or a deal. Like there's so many things that could go wrong or haywire in a real estate transaction. So there's only so much you can control there. Well, yeah. And, and going back to, um, it was interesting. I'm, I'm in a men's mastermind and the, and the guy was a real estate agent. And he was talking about setting boundaries as a real estate agent of like, how do you avoid answering the phone after a certain hour or on a certain day or while you're on a certain vacation? Yeah. T- tell us about how you go about um, setting up those boundaries because, you know, if a potential client's calling you at nine o'clock at night, why, why would you ignore that? If it's a potential client, that could be your only deal of the month. <laughs> so how do you right. set those boundaries? Personally, and I've talked to a lot of people, some people say, you know, they don't answer their phone after 7 p.m. And that works for them because, you know, they have to spend quality time with their kids or whatever it may be. I personally don't like to put any time constraints on when I'm working and when I'm not because I have a client right now that I'm working with and he's a night owl like me so between the hours of like 9 and 10 p.m we're sending properties we're talking about ideas for his offers and I have no problem with that because I stay up late every single night and that's not going to be the same for you know an investor client that wakes about 5 p.m and wants to talk or 5 a.m and wants to talk about his strategies Um, and so I just find that I set my boundaries in like a situational um, way. So like if I'm, you know, at a dinner with my family or something and a client texts me, I will just respond to them and say, I'll get back to you in two hours. I'm at dinner with my family. So I never really close myself off and say like, I'm not going to, you know, answer after these hours because it's different every single time. And I have clients that, could be in a different state. And so when they get off work and they can talk to me, like I need to make that work for them. And that's kind of, I just see it as that's my job to be available for them whenever they need it. And it's true that there's not really any emergencies other than like offer deadlines and real estate transactions. So anything that someone messages you about, like right now, you can get back to them in two hours and it's going to be the same situation. Like nothing can fall apart that quickly um, unless you're working on a deadline, of course, uh, for an offer. But usually everything you can get back to someone if you have an emergency, like your kid's baseball game, if you're a parent or something like that. And so I do mine kind of case by case because there's, like I said, certain days where I'm heavy on work and I'm working from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night, like answering texts, negotiating deals. And then the next day I might be able to focus a lot more on social media because I've just resolved all of those transactional things. Okay. Um, what are your evening routines then? Or do, do, do you have one if you're answering texts and calls up until 10 PM or and do you get up early? So t- tell us about that. Um, I am not much of an early riser. I would say I, as cheesy as it sounds, like I try to listen to my body. So I don't really like set alarms. Um, Sometimes I'll tell Cole to call me or wake me up at a certain time. But other than that, I kind of just wake up somewhere between the hours of 7 a.m. and 9. 
and I stay up for as late as I want to. I try to get at least eight hours of sleep um, so that I can stay optimal and functioning. Um, But I do find that at night I am like the most creative. And so I really have have to capitalize on those hours where my ideas are flowing so much and I'm getting all of this inspiration. I have to really like capitalize on those hours. And for me, those are at night. So I'm doing a lot of, you know, content creation, whether it's captions or planning out posts or planning out, you know, story talks or videos that I want to record or whatever the case may be. Like I'm just rolling on ideas during those hours. So for me, I would say the evenings are like, the best for me. (laughs) And then the mornings are usually like responding and working in that way. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk about um, the reasons, the seasons and the life with with, with people around you. Tell tell us more about that and uh, how to be aware of that. Yeah. So um, I have like a very interesting personality, I think, because I'm very aggressive and type A, but I'm also extremely sensitive. And um, one of my like limiting beliefs before was allowing what people thought or said or whatever to, you know, take a toll on me. And in the recent years, I've learned to kind of control that and channel it when I need to and when I don't need to. And one of the situations where I heard of that was I had a friend and um, hopefully they won't watch this and know it's about them. Um, But it was kind of like a dead end friendship. And from my heart and perspective, I thought I was like putting all of this energy in to have like a good connection and maintain a friendship. And I thought I was doing it for, you know, a good reason. And I genuinely cared about this person. I liked them. I wanted to be friends with them. And it kind of just was like um, talking to a wall. Like there was no depth there. And I would call my best friend and I'd be like, this is exhausting. Like, I feel like this is going nowhere. This is a waste of my time. And it's so upsetting because like, did I do something? Did I say something to offend them? Like, and if I did, why aren't they communicating that? Like I'm the type of person that I love having like difficult, hard conversations. I feel like you can't have growth without them. Um, And so I love how I would love for someone to come to me and say like, you did X, Y, Z and it upset me because of this. And I was triggered because of this, like in our friendship, please don't do that again. And I would be able to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't even realize I was doing that. And to sum it up, it was going nowhere. And my efforts were just, um, going to the wayside and I was talking to my friend and I was like, I'm going to just let this go. And I'm going to, you know, not be putting all of this energy into this friendship. That's not um, going anywhere. Like she's not reciprocating. It's kind of a waste of time at this point. And my best friend did tell me she heard somewhere, you know, friends are for life for a reason or for a season. And she was a seasonal friend and that has to be okay with people. Like you can't take it personally Um, you know, she had issues with, um, my social media use and I love social media. And so she's not able to see it how I do. And that has to be okay. Like that doesn't mean she's a bad person. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And so once you realize that it kind of makes it a lot easier. Like I have friends that send me post ideas and I have friends that like and comment on all my stuff and I can reciprocate that with them. And it's, um, you know, a mutual thing. 
And other people might not see it that way. Like a lot of people don't like social media and a lot of people find that it's toxic for them. And I had to learn like, that's okay. They don't have to see it like me. They don't have to, you know, see it through my eyes and we can, you know, say hi to each other when we see each other. But the best part about that whole thing is when I gave up on that friendship, which that sounds kind of morbid. I didn't give up on the friendship. I just let it be what it was. After I did that, though, I started investing in this other friend and we are like so close now. And we talk about social media strategies, ironically, and we hang out all the time and talk about business ideas, which I would have never done with that other person. And so I think um, you might be afraid to do something or hurt or scared or confused, but you have to trust your path and your journey because if I would have spent all this time trying to drag out that ending friendship, I would have never had this amazing connection with this other friend I have now. And so that's just another reason to um, those types of situations give me a lot of confidence in trusting myself. And when a situation is what it is, you just kind of have to let it be and trust your gut. And there are friends for a reason season in life. And that has to be okay with everyone. And I think at this age, it's hard for, you know, anyone between the ages of like 20 and really 30, because you have a lot of childhood friends and high school friends and you're hanging on to them, but everyone goes down different paths and it is okay. Like we're all on different journeys and it doesn't mean one of us is better than the other. It's just, it's life and it happens and it's something you just kind of have to move forward with. And so I found comfort in that when I go into my emotional state and I always tell that to my other friends too, because I feel like it's a really good concept. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, and, and speaking of reasons, seasons in life, um, I, I'd love if, if, uh, if you're comfortable sharing, what's it like um, when, when it comes to, because when it comes to setting goals, you know, our parents, for example, always want to protect us. They always want to make sure that we don't get hurt, we don't get harmed, we don't get injured, but also part of growing up and succeeding and achieving big goals that we got to get outside our comfort zones and outside of our parents' comfort zones. So how do you get outside of the comfort zone of family, of family, of parents, and that even though they obviously love you, they want what's best for you, how do you still expand beyond that? Um, I think it, like, the first thing that pops into my mind is it just um, reminds me of the same concept when I really wanted to focus on social media, and I was so excited about it, and I looked at my mentors, which both of them are still my mentors, and they're like, no, social media is a total waste of time. Like, that's not a good idea. But I knew in my heart, like, that's what I needed to be focusing on in this season of life, at least. And um, I have the same things that happen there. Like when I'm when I was looking at buying this house, you know, everyone has an opinion and you know, people can only speak from their experiences and what they went through. So if a person or a situation reminds them of something that they went through, their brain can kind of go into a different mindset and they can't see the situation for what it is. And they're trying to genuinely help, but they don't necessarily know what's best for you. And I think you really have to trust your gut and not overthink it and know that if you're investing in something or you're trying to do something better than what you're doing now or more or extra, there is going to be a small level of risk associated with that. And you have to be okay with that risk. And if you are okay with that risk and it feels right and true to you, like that's what you really have to go for. Because if I would listen to the opinions of everyone in my life, I 
you know, my life would be a lot different, not bad, but a lot different. And you have to go with your gut, what makes you happy, what sets you on fire in the morning. And it doesn't need to make sense to anyone else but you. And I remember too, like back in the day when you wanted to do motivational speaking, which you're very successful at and very good. And we had a family member that was confused by that and didn't think it was, you know, the right path. And you trusted your gut and your calling. And it's the same concept. Like it's not going to make sense to everyone, but you really have to go with what you want to do and what makes sense to you. And that almost makes it more exciting. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So uh, that's a great, great piece of advice. I'm going to go into some rapid fire questions here as we're wrapping up. Okay. All right. Um, what are some non-negotiable actions um, as an entrepreneur or business person to be successful? Non-negotiables. I would say waking up every day and having a plan of what you're going to do. Don't flounder. I have so many people that say, I want to get into real estate. I love looking at houses. And I say to them like, oh, do you like, you know, talking to people all day, every day and making relationships? And like, no, I'm kind of antisocial. And there's a lot of antisocial people in real estate. But unless you have a plan for how you're going to get somewhere, it doesn't make any sense. So I would say the non-negotiable is wake up every day and have a plan for how you're going to get there and track your goals. Um, Floundering cannot be an option. I love it. And how do you um, map out who you surround yourself with? Like, do you have people who like, Oh, this person gives me business advice. This person is just a friend. This person gives me this. Like, how do you, how do you map out who you surround yourself with? I should say. Um, I would say I try to go off of a combination of people that I care about, people that I have genuine connections with, and then people that I want to be like them, like they are doing something or have something in their life that I want. And people, I feel like the main thing you can do is always, always, always know that you don't know everything and you need to be teachable and keep people in your life that you can learn something from. I love it. Great advice. All right, last two questions, Katie. Um, if people are looking back at this interview or this, this uh, session today, what's the one takeaway you want them to have? I would say the one takeaway is you can achieve anything you put your mind to, and it doesn't matter how um, capable you are or how talented you are. You have to be consistent, and you have to keep your mindset in check, and that is a daily battle. And do not get discouraged if you fall off the wagon because you can just as easily get back on and achieve your goals. So I would say mastering your mindset is the number one takeaway. Love it. And Katie, what's the best way that people can get a hold of you and contact you if they want to learn more about mindset, inspiration, real estate, social media? How can people get a hold of you? Um, I would say the best way is Instagram or Facebook. Hopefully Andrew tags that before my laptop dies. My Instagram is Catherine Elizabeth Guernsey. My real estate page is Catherine PNW Realtor. And then my Facebook page is just my name. Oh, yeah. And you and just also to, to tell the audience more, you, you got um, awarded the top social media real estate agent in, in Oregon. Is that, is that the word you got? Yeah, I've gotten a few. Um, I was the number one in Oregon for a while and then the number one in Salem. And I recently just got featured as like number 13 in Portland, which I don't do much business up there. But I was really happy to see that because I am trying to focus a lot on Portland and that market. How do you get number one in Oregon, but only number 13 in Portland? Oh, um, I was not. um, We go by um, markets and members. So I'm a member of 
WVMLS, which is the Willamette gotcha. Valley. And I recently just added um, Portland, the RMLS, but it also goes off of every single year. So if I'm not doing social media as well, and someone else is, um, they do new um, charts, I think every six months or years. Gotcha. All right. Well, well, Catherine, this was a wonderful session. Thank you again for coming on today. So glad to host you. Um, make sure to reach out to Catherine on social media, get a hold of her. Um, she's uh, as my cousin. I, I can vouch for her awesomeness and amazingness. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you again for coming on today and looking forward to seeing what the future brings you. Yeah, look forward to connecting with you all. All right, see you all next week, everyone. Cheers. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.